From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. One of the ways future doctors and other healthcare providers learn is by practicing on people who pretend to be patients. They're called standardized patients, and they're trained to portray certain medical situations. Today, I'm talking with two people, um, Steve Harris, who's the director of Upstate's Clinical Skills Center, and Annette Adams-Brown, a standardized patient. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for being here. So I want to start with you, um, Steve, um, just asking you to give an overview of the standardized patient program. I know it's been part of the medical curriculum since about the 1960s. Is that right? Um, well, it, back in the long before I was here in the 60s and 70s, there were some some beginnings of standardized patient kind of work here at Upstate. Um, standardized patients in general have actually been around since the mid 1960s. Um, Howard Barrows, Dr. Howard Barrows, who was a neurologist in Southern California. Uh, came up with the idea of what he called program patients, which were folks he could train. Actually, his secretary was the very first one. Her name was Rose. Um, Rose is the eve of standardized patients, okay. I suppose. Uh, she was the first person who Dr. Barrows actually taught her to have physical, to, to distrib- display physical findings uh, for his neurology residents so they could practice on Rose and see what looked like realistic patient encounters with a patient who was trained to do exactly the way that Dr. Barrows wanted it and then give feedback to the students about it. And from those beginnings in 1964, 65, I think it was, it has now become um, international part of medical education everywhere. Pretty um, standard then. You'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a medical school in the United States or, or many, many other countries where there are, isn't some sort of standardized patient or simulated patient, which is the alternate term that's, that's sometimes used um, for what they do, which is basically simulate as realistic as we can possibly make them, patient encounters with medical learners, uh, whether they be medical students or nurse practitioner students or PA students or PT students or anybody else. Um, We also do stuff in our center with uh, some non-medical folks. We have uh, the clinical pastoral education, the chaplain interns come and do some simulations with us uh, where they see patients in a very different way than a medical person would. Sure. Um, we also have a, a collaboration that I've been doing for years with, this, with a professor at the School of Education at Syracuse University, a great collaboration between the two institutions with his pre-service teachers who come and they don't meet patients and do physical exams. They come and they meet parents, a simulated parent or a simulated student or a simulated colleague or community activist or whoever teachers might typically find themselves interacting with so they can practice and learn and develop their communication skills, which is really what we're all about is communication skills. So, and part of that is the re- receiving the immediate feedback, right? This is being observed and... Yeah, the, the you know, the, the standard, the word standardized in terms of standardized patients really comes from the fact that I can train eight people to be the same patient. And that way I can make sure that all of my students see the same patient or the same group of patients. And so when I'm evaluating them, I'm evaluating them in a standardized kind of way. But I think the other part of it, the other half of what we do, besides giving us the ability to, to compare apples with apples when we, when we evaluate our students, is it also gives us the opportunity to give them feedback from a perspective that no one else can give them. You know, I can watch a student interview a patient. Um, our, all of our faculty do that all the time, and they do it very well. And we can give them feedback from our expertise about communication, which is about what we saw as a third party, what we can't tell them and shouldn't try to tell them is how did that patient feel when you were when you were interacting with them? And folks like Annette and the, and the great standardized patients all over the world, that's what they can do that nobody else can do. 
they're not here to tell students about the clinical stuff. That's not their job. That's the faculty's job. What they're here to say is, as the other person who was in the room interacting with you, this is how I felt. This is how you made me feel. And here are some things that maybe you could continue to do to continue to be a great communicator. And maybe some things that you might want to think about changing because they really weren't good communication with me. Well, let me ask Annette, um, what drew you to want to be a standardized patient? Well, actually, it was a fellow actor I saw one day that I hadn't seen in years. I performed with many years ago. He's also a veteran standardized patient. And I happened to see him in walking, coming to the upstate standardized patient program. And I asked him, I said, hey, how have you been? He said, oh, I'm on my way to work up at the standardized patient program. And he told me about it and gave me the information. And that was almost 15 years ago. <laughs> oh, so you've been at this for 15 yes. years. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, do you have an acting background? I do. I do. My background is in theater production and acting, and I have a bachelor's in theater. So this must be a natural, you must be a natural for this sort of role. Um, you know, they, we're trained to do what we do. As Steve said, we have to be standardized. So it does give me an opportunity to practice some of my acting skills in term of, terms of memorization, because that's a important skill that you have to have as a standardized patient memorization. We're trained and we're supposed to memorize the specific case particulars. And So what types of roles have you played as a patient? Like what types of diseases have you been um, I've been a patient who has had abdominal pain, um, uh, learned that they are now uh, diabetic, osteoporosis, you name it. <laughs> okay. And that's done a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and uh, there have been, as, as we were talking before the interview began, there have been, uh, you've had patients or standardized patients who've come through who've gone on to win Tonys, right? <laughs> we do have one form. We actually, we have two people who have won Tonys, one who won one on her own and another who was part of an ensemble that, that won a Tony for a theater group that you work for. So <clears throat> I can't promise folks who become standardized patients that they will uh, win Tony awards as a result, but... Uh, but we do have some pretty impressive alumni, I guess. Yeah, so, and you don't necessarily have to be have an acting background. You just have to be very um, astute at learning the, the case materials that's presented in the training and also be able to present it in a standardized way. Yeah, I think that's an important point that, that a lot of times people associate standardized patients with you have to be an actor. Um, an actor like Annette certainly has certain advantages because she has skills and a set of understandings of how to portray a person that's really helpful in her portrayals. We've had people who are professionally trained actors who were not really good standardized patients because they didn't understand that this is about education. It's, it's not about entertainment. Um, we have folks who have never been on a stage in their life who are fantastic standardized patients. Um, it has to do with understanding that our point here is to help our students learn how to be better communicators. Now, are you trying to present the patient encounter to make it as realistic as possible necessarily? Okay. Yeah, the goal is is, is the, to be realistic, as, as Annette knows. the As the, possible, as, as, as you can be, you know. I mean, there's sure. some things, like in the training, they will give us specific scenarios in terms of um, the present illness. We might they, they might say to us that if they press here, you're supposed to react this particular way. So you can only do so much, you sure. know. It, it's it's not very invasive. It, we try to do this in a, an environment that's as safe as possible. I think it's very it's, it's very rewarding and very comfortable environment. I know so the students may be nervous, but for the most part, um, it's a very rewarding work from, from a standardized patient perspective. 
are the conditions or diseases, are they mostly common things? I mean, you're not, you're not setting things up to try to trick someone. You're trying to, right? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that's one of the most common misconceptions among students is that there's always a trick and we're always trying to fool them and trick them somehow. Um, the reality is that you can, you can create a simulation of any real-life situation. Some take a lot more work than others because they're a lot more complicated than others. Um, but primarily our goal is to make our students have an opportunity to, to have an encounter that feels just like the real thing. And there really isn't any trick usually um, other than just different patients are different and, and you need to treat each patient as the individual that they are and, and do what you do and communicate well with each patient wherever they happen to be. Um, we're, we're really never trying to trick anybody. Um, but on the other hand, we're also trying to give them a realistic encounter. Um, so we're not here to give them the answers either. And if they don't do a good job in, in their communicating, in their history taking, in their physical exam, then they're not going to perform well just like they don't with a real patient. The difference is my patient, when it's all over, is not really sick. And <laughs> they're going to be fine and they're going to give the students some feedback so that hopefully when the student encounters a, a similar situation in the, in the real world, um, they don't make the same mistakes, and their patients will hopefully be better better off because their 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 doctors are better trained. Now, do you instruct the um, standardized patients to behave a certain way, like personality wise? Some of them take on a different persona, maybe. Yeah, it depends. You know, you might be depressed, okay. um, and so there's there's physical. Um, okay. things that go along with being depressed or you just have an upset stomach and so there's certain things that you have to do in terms of positioning your body so you want to make the encounter as believable as possible um, and, and like St Steve was saying you know one of the beautiful things about it in terms of making it very realistic you know the standardized patients they range in age from what 18 to what's the oldest I'm not Six, sure 16 to about 75 oh, I think 16 the youngest to standardized patient I ever had worked for me was eight years old. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> wow. She happened to be my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Steve Harris, who oversees the Standardized Patient Program at Upstate, and Annette Adams-Brown, one of the standardized patients. So, um, Annette, I wanted, what do you get out of um, participating in this? And you've stuck with it for 15 years, so you must enjoy it. But Well, it's very rewarding work to know that you're contributing to the... Um, educational quality of, of the medical industry. And it's very important. I think communication plays such a huge role in all walks of life, whether, you know, no matter what your relationship is. And, and to play a part in that makes it, um, you know, very empowering. You work with the students and when you're sitting there, and a lot of times when we do face-to-face -face, um, feedback, you know, the students, they're very, very uh, appreciative of the work that we do. And um, that we allow them to poke and prod us <laughs> and practice. <laughs> but it's not ever in a way where it's painful or it's dangerous. It's a very right. safe environment. So it's it's extremely rewarding work. And I always say, if you work it, it works. Because I've had an opportunity to actually be examined by a um, medical provider who went through this program. And as a standardized patient, I was in the real world, but I was having a real exam by someone who went through the standardized um, patient clinical skills program, and it was a phenomenal experience, unlike any experience that I've had in the medical industry. Wow, interesting. Well, Steve, I understand you're recruiting for standardized patients. Um, and Okay. And you're looking to, ha you want a diverse group of patients, right, to Absolutely. present to these students. So. Yeah, because our goal is we want to provide our students with 
as I said, realistic encounters, and that means the whole um, the whole range of ages and and gender and uh, sexual orientation and uh, you know, ethnicity and everything else, so that they're seeing um, a population in the standardized patient program that look a lot like the population the they world. see in the real world. Absolutely. So, do, do you want children? Do you have an age cutoff? Um, we are currently limited to people have to be at least 16 years old okay. for employment at Upstate. Um, uh, or actually, the standardized patients are not technically employees of Upstate. We have a contract that we work with, oh, okay. a temp agency, um, and it's a great it's a great setup for everybody. But the, and the simply the New York State laws are that you know you have to be a certain age 16. in order to work. But 16 is our, is sort of our minimum. There is no maximum age. Um, there are no limitations in terms of any other kind of demographic factor because we want every demographic we can get because we never know what case is going to be the next request for us. And the person obviously doesn't have to have an experience uh, with acting. Medical background is unnecessary. No. Nope. Um, what about English language? Um, English language, it, it, obviously our trainings occur in English, um, and our students are going to interact with them in English. Um, you, so you obviously you have to be able to understand English and and speak and 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 read English. Um, but you know sometimes we have cases where we, I actually earlier today I got an email from someone wondering about doing a case involving using translators, um, mm. which is a huge part of medical education for our students in the real world when they're in in the, sure. in, the in the in the clinics here at Upstate. They often have patients who for whom English is not their first language or even a language that they have much skill in at all and they need to learn how to use an interpreter and how to interact with those folks so um, there there really are very few limitations in general where it becomes a limitation is when we're developing a particular case because if the case calls for a uh, you know middle-aged female patient obviously that's going to eliminate an awful lot of the folks who work for me because they're 25 years old and and male Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes that kind of stuff is really important um, because we want our patient, we want our students to walk into a room, and if their their chart says the patient's 25 years old, and he looks like me, um, <laughs> I'm considerably older than 25 years old, and they're going to wonder what kind of a life this guy's been living, that he looks like that. And that really is part of evaluating your patient. Is when you see your patient, you start thinking certain things that, that in terms of, of diagnosing that patient and helping that patient. And if the body sitting in the chair doesn't match that, then it, we're really doing a disservice to our students. How much time is required, or what kind of a time investment is there being a standardized patient? Well, uh, there's a training session that would run sometimes between an hour to two hours. And then you take the information that you get in the training session, and I usually take anywhere from an hour home reviewing the information and then a half an hour prior to presenting the information the day of the actual case. So it's it's not a lot of time, but you do have to be able to work it in and around your own personal schedule. And that's the beauty in it. It's not a nine to fiver or you have to be available all day. You look at what the case uh, dates are and if you're able to be available on those dates. And it's important that you, if you say you're going to be available, that you are available because the scheduling of students and clinicians is just such a massive task, so you have to be very reliable from a time constraint like that. And, and, and the vast majority of the folks who work for us, of the standardized patients, are folks who have a number of different things that they do, and this is one of them, because it's not, 
in terms of the employment aspect of it, it's not a regular part-time gig where you can count on 15 hours a week. There are weeks where Annette is a very active, one of our most active standardized patients. There are weeks when she probably works 20, 25 hours in a particular week, but then she might not work again for two or three weeks, depending on what cases we happen to be doing and whether or not they're the ones that she does. Um, so it's it's not something that if you're counting on sort of part-time regular work, it's not going to happen. But if you are looking for if, and have availability and flexibility in your schedule, we work around other people's schedules as much as we can. So it's mostly daytime hours, I'm assuming, right? Pretty much always, Pretty yeah. Much. And then um, it sounds like it might be ideal for someone who's retired. Again, you look for all ages, but... We, we have um, a lot of retired people. That, the reality is that... Um, when we're doing cases for people who are over 50, that's no problem because we have, do have a number have of retired folks. When we're doing cases for people who are under 25, it's pretty simple because we have a great relationship with the Syracuse University Drama Department and some other folks around here that, apply us, that supply us with student-age people. It's those folks in their 30s and 40s that have regular full-time jobs and are a little bit less available for the flexibility. So um, they tend to be a little harder to find. Well, what's the best way for someone who's interested to learn more about the program? I know your website seems like it's full of information at upstate.edu slash standard patient. Great place. That's probably the best place to go and find information, um, a little bit of information in general about standardized patients and about us specifically. Uh, it's also where our application page is, so there's a little um, um, an application uh, video that you can watch and then some questions that we ask and then it's sent to us and then uh, we take it from there and uh, folks who are who seem to be interested and have the basic skills of being able to follow the, our, our, our video um, are then invited to come and, and learn more about being a standardized patient and eventually become standardized patients. Well, well thank you both for being here. I appreciate the information. My guests have been standardized patient Annette Adams-Brown, and we also have the director of Upstate's Clinical Skills Center, Steve Harris. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.